I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so um, I've sobered up, but there's still some blackouts. And um, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. I'll tell you one more time, oh yeah, we're having a good time, yeah. We're having a good time, and All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. That is such a good intro song. Troy Ritchie did that. I think his name on Instagram is I am Troy Ritchie. Such a good intro song. It has got a flow to it. I'm happy to be here. It's Tuesday, May 19th. I just had a birthday yesterday, May 18th. That's my birthday every year. And I'm 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 uh older than I was before. And I'm excited to be here. I got uh probably not a lot of news to share, but I got I got some. And uh, and before I get into it, I'll say when and, and I might have said this on a podcast. I don't know, maybe not, because I try. You know, I always try to keep it positive, so I wouldn't always share uh, some of the you know more morbid things that I was thinking. But uh, at times, I would think at, at the very beginning, because you know, I had a gig on March eighth, and then. That following weekend, I was supposed to do a Friday night at the Grand Old Opry. That would be my 12th time doing the Grand Old Opry. And that gig got canceled. And I thought, all right, you know what? Everybody's taking a little precaution right now. Everybody's like, all right, there's a lot of pressure. Let's kind of shut some things down. And then my first week, the next week, I was supposed to go to Cleveland to Hilarities. And then when that closed down, I was laying here one night and I was just... In my mind, there was a part of me that thought that we would never do comedy again. I didn't I didn't really have any evidence to back it up, but in my life I had never seen a global pandemic. And then suddenly everything started to shut down and everything was shutting down and then they say, "All right, we're going to do a quarantine for you know, for, for a little while to flatten the curve, to not overwhelm the hospitals. And they said there will be two real bad weeks. They said, oh, these next two weeks, these are going to be the worst. That's when we're going to see all the cases. So we all locked down. And then that two weeks passed. During that two weeks, I wore masks. I used Lysol. I, I cleaned things. I was washing my hands. And then that two weeks was over, and I was like, okay, what now? And then they're like, just keeping us locked down and they're like till we find the cure till we find the cure and then people are trying to go to work and other people are yelling at them and they're like listen i can't afford this i gotta keep going and uh and it's just it's just wild out there and people are like Oh, you're you're this kind of person because you want to work, and you're like, no, 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 I just want to work. 
I, I don't, I'm not angry. Uh, I just, and then, and then we, we were like asking the government for per- permission to go to work. <laughs> and it's like, we got uh, hotlines out there where governors are going, if you see people not social distancing, you call this number. And it's like, whoa, what's happening here? We're telling on each other for getting together with friends. We're telling on each other for going to parties. And, uh, you know, the the two ladies with the, with the memes that were around for a long time with the phone to their faces calling the police on people, that's what everyone's become. And it's wild. And, well, this weekend, this past weekend, I did comedy. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. And I might have been one of the only people doing comedy. I mean, live comedy on a stage in a comedy club. I might have been one of the only ones. I was in Dallas, Texas. More specifically, Addison, Texas. Just above Dallas. I saw a friend of mine. He lives in Houston. I saw he was doing some comedy. Barry Laminack. So, but other than that, the people that were on the show with me, uh, doing the weekend with me, Ralph Barbosa, Alec Parent, uh, they were on my show, and I don't know who was on Barry's show, but live comedy was happening. And I might have been one of the only people in the entire country doing live comedy. And it felt great. I got to tell you, it felt amazing. I left here on, I didn't want to say what I was going to do. I didn't do a where we've been, where we're going last week because I didn't want to say. I was kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. But the club had opened at 25% capacity, meaning we could put about 80 people in the room and spread them out. And we each comedian, we had different microphones. You know, the audience members, the, the club had masks for people if they wanted to wear them. A few people did. And the staff wore masks. Um, it was all cool. It was all good. Um, but I flew. So I went from, you know, sitting around for nine weeks. Now, sitting around, maybe not. I mean, I've been... You know, I've been building birdhouses, and I got I got quite the bird sanctuary behind my house. The only thing that I can't figure out how to do is to make the birds not afraid of me. I want to be able to go out into the yard and sit amongst them. I want them to land on my arms and land on my head, and I want a little deer to come out of the woods and everyone to start singing. So far, that's not happened. That's not what they're doing out there yet. But I really got off track with my with my Bambi themed uh, imagination. Oh, but so I was sitting around for nine weeks, and then I got I went to the airport, and the airport was pretty empty. It wasn't a ghost town, but pretty empty. I mean, the Nashville airport is bustling. I mean, it may be a small airport, but it's packed. The restaurants are packed. Oftentimes, there's live music inside the airport. I mean, it is a bustling place. 
The Starbucks line wraps around the airport. I went in, I've been in that Starbucks line for 30 minutes before. Or more. I was in the line for two minutes. This time. And and then I get, you know, I get on the, and not all the gates are open, so everybody's spread out. So it's like, it still seems like there's a ton of people there because everybody's so spread out. Then I get on the airplane, they make you wear masks. So that's fine. I don't like it. I don't like that these places are making us wear masks. But you know what? I'm happy that the airline's open. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of real freedom fighters out there that are like, you got to demand this and this and this. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of place I'm in to be demanding anything. I mean, I, I, I wish. But I'm just like, you know what? I'm just happy that the airline is open. I'm happy that I'm able to be able to fly to this place. And then once I got on the airplane, I just kind of slipped the mask off anyway. It's like, come on, you're going to harass me about it? Like, I get it. You got to do it. And uh, so I I flew there. And then I landed in Addison, and I met up with Alec, who would be featuring for me. And uh, we had a a two-bedroom hotel with a living room and all, which was like a little bit like an apartment. And we went and had some food. We went went to a restaurant and had a burger. And it was pretty great. And then we went that night and did a show for 20 people. I have never been so happy to do a show for 20 people. I was a little rusty, but I worked through it. And I did an hour on stage, and it felt amazing. The second half of the hour was really good. And then Friday, well, well, you know, I had a friend come and she brought her whole family. And that was why we had the 20 people that we had on Thursday. And it was amazing. And I'm very thankful to her and her family. Um, but on Friday, we went and ate at another restaurant, a Mexican restaurant. And my stomach has not felt the same since. I will say that. And then I went to, um, we went to do comedy for 80 people. Packed out. Packed for the amount of people we're allowed to have. Social distancing packed. And it was unbelievable. I was doing all kinds of new jokes. I was, oh man, I was riffing. I was just going in and out of jokes. And I threw out so many old jokes. So many jokes that I've been doing forever. So many jokes that I was like, well, I'm doing an hour now. So I need to be doing those jokes. I just threw them all out. And it felt great. I was, I, I felt like my mind had been writing jokes this whole time I've been in quarantine, and I didn't even know about it. I came out on stage, and I had all these jokes about stuff. I'm doing jokes from my past and jokes from the future and jokes from the present, and it feels good. Saturday, another great night of comedy. 80 people again. Sunday, get on a plane, come home, wake up yesterday, it's my birthday, here we are today. That's where we've been, and where we're going, nowhere this weekend, but next weekend, I am supposed to be going to Huntsville, Alabama to stand up live, the comedy club, stand up live, and provided that everything goes according to plan, because we're all day by day these days, but it'll be me 
Connor Larson, and Aaron Weber all on this show. It's going to be a hot show. It's going to be explosive. And we're going to be... I don't know that Connor and Aaron have done shows yet since the quarantine. And I'm, I feel on fire. I mean, I haven't felt so good about comedy, I don't think, in a, because even the last week that I did comedy, I was in Sarasota, Florida, and I loved the weekend, but I was still doing so many jokes that in my mind I was like, I wish I could not do these jokes. So I felt good. I felt like it gave me time to break away from them. And I don't know if it's just that the audience was so happy to be doing comedy or if or if they just really did enjoy what I was doing. And I think that this quarantine is going to help audiences begin to appreciate live comedy a little more. And... Yeah, I mean, it just feels good. It just feels good. It's back. Comedy's back. And I got to telling jokes about uh, some places I used to work. And I know I talk about these things all the time. But yesterday I put out a... um, I put out a video. I feel like I have to sneeze. I've been having my windows open a lot around here. And... uh, I never really have sinus problems, but I do get a little sneezy. All right, it passed. So I put out a video yesterday. Now, these are not new jokes that I put out, but I revamped them. I recorded these jokes in 2014 on the Making That Fudge album, the uh, Waiting Tables jokes where I worked at Hyman's Seafood. and But I re-recorded them on a video last year and then I put that video out yesterday and it's doing pretty well. I want it I always want things to do better because I thought, man, if I could just get all the restaurant people in the world to find those jokes and share those jokes, then I think it would go really far, but I don't know how to reach them. I don't know how to find them. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll talk a little bit about waiting tables and what what I used to do. And I have two real, I've had a lot of restaurant jobs, but I have two real vastly different experiences waiting tables. Um, and, And my timeline is a bit shaky, but my first time entering the waiting tables arena was working at a restaurant called Western Sizzlin'. Now, I'm gonna be talking about Western Sizzlin' and about Hyman's. And I do want to say, for the record, anyone listening to this, regardless of your criticism of these two places, I love these restaurants. I mean, the the Western Sizzlin in Opelika, Alabama, right off the interstate, is fantastic. I love that restaurant. Hyman Seafood, located on 213 Meeting Street in Charleston, South Carolina, is fantastic, and I love it. People always go, this is what people go. They go, oh, there's so many better restaurants in Charleston. Better how, you know? Uh, better is uh, subjective. There are a lot of amazing restaurants in Charleston. I'll give you that. I mean, there are some unbelievable places. But what kind of experience are you really looking for? I mean, if you're looking to hang with several buddies, 
go into a place, get a big platter of seafood, and just chow down on it, I don't know that Hyman's can be beat. They have quantity down. And depending on what you get, crispy flounder, crab cakes, fried scallops, light Cajun scallops, um, uh, you just got to get the things that they specialize on. You don't go to Hyman's and try to get a hamburger. Although I have eaten a hamburger there and they're fine because they have the whole deli. But I'm just saying, go to a seafood place, get seafood. But anyway, at 16, I entered the waiting tables arena at Western Sizzlin. And I worked with mainly older women. Like all the women, and I don't know the age because my, uh, I, I, I realize now that I viewed people, even my age right now, as so old when I was 16. I just thought, geez. I mean, and then to think that they would be waiting tables at my age, I was just like, oh gosh. But then, you know, uh, had comedy not gone the way it had gone for me, that's probably what I'd be doing, you know? And there's no shame in it. Waiting tables is good money, and it's fun. I like waiting tables. So Western Citizen was a buffet, is is a buffet-style restaurant. And so what happens is you walk in, and then they have a, a, a lot, you know, a, a, like a, I don't know, a, a corral, for lack of a better term, that goes around the dining room as you walk in the door, you go around the dining room into, and now it's the corral is built with wood. And then on the top of the wood is all these planters. I don't know if they're real plants or not. I never put any water in there. And they go all the way around. So you walk all the way around and then to the front counter. And it's a cafeteria style counter where you get your tray, you get your, your silverware, and you get, um, you know, they'll have, uh, cups there with ice in them, and you get whatever drink you want. And then you'll get uh, an ice cream bowl, and then you go up to the counter, and you tell them what you want to order, whether you want to get the buffet or you want to get a steak, basically. And then they write it down on a receipt. You don't pay right there. And then you take, and then they will give you additional plates. Like if you've ordered the uh, buffet, they'll give you a big plate for the food and a little plate for the salad and then another little plate for something else. But if you're getting a steak and the salad bar, they'll just give you one plate. So you go, you take all these things, you go sit down, and then your waiter will come over. And if you got in a steak, we'll take your ticket and we'll write that number down. And if you got your buffet, we'll just greet you. We don't, there's really nothing to do until you finish a plate. We take that plate, bring you another one and refill your drinks. And that's all you do. And so in, in, when you're waiting tables there, you'll have anywhere from six to like 10 tables, depending on what's going on. And that's what you're doing. You just refill drinks, bring plates, make sure the food gets there, bring butter, bring, we would carry butter and sour cream in our, in our, um, what do you call it, Uh, a bib? What do you call those things? Uh, uh, Apron. At butter and sour cream because that's what people wanted. Whenever that, because the the food would come on these metal plates. So like the, where the food set was a silver metal and then all around that was plastic so that it wouldn't burn you. So you bring you this, um, 
metal plate. And if you got a steak, this is what it'd be. You get on the metal plate, and then you got your steak, your baked potato wrapped in aluminum foil, and a big piece of thick, buttery Texas toast. Unbelievably delicious. And then when people would get their, you know, sour cream or, or their baked potato, they would want sour cream and extra butter. Always. Always. So I would bring those, those things and then, you know, I would do everything I could do for them and then they would leave and usually leave $1 on the table. So Western Sizzling was all about the turn and burn. I think I would make like anywhere from like 60 to $80 a night. And that, you know, some people would leave two bucks. Some people would leave five. One time I had my brother-in-law's family the family that my sister married into, they came there. Now, it was a really cool cool guy. He's about my age, a little older, named Michael. And him and his girlfriend came. And they left a little bit before the rest of the family. Now, the other guy in the family, he was a, a, a volunteer fireman and would always wear the CB radio on his shoulder. Like, he was ready to be able to talk at any time. And he was volunteer. So he was committed to that. And so Michael gets up and leaves and leaves a $5 bill on the table. I'm assuming a tip for me, but I don't grab it. I don't go grabbing off people's table until they're done. That's just the way I roll or at least rolled at the time. And so he leaves. I say bye to him. He's left $5 on the table and there's probably four more people still there. And then when they finally leave, there's no longer a five on the table, but now $3. So the family didn't add to Michael's tip. The family didn't look at Michael's tip and say, that's enough of a tip. They said, that's too much. And they pocketed $2 and they left. So uh, we'll never forget that. I'm not mad at them, but I will not forget it. And so they did that, and that that was kind of the thing. I mean, you go there, and and then on Sunday, around 12.30, you get the white church crowd, and around 2, 2.30, you get the black church crowd. And it packs out. It's exactly the same. They come in. They bring a million tables together. None of them tip well. Some of them do. Most of them don't, uh, and they need a million things. They're all pretty nice. I'm not saying anybody was rude, but they uh, just would destroy the dining room. But it was still good money because you had so many. So I did that for about a year. But I was in school. I was in 11th grade. I was able to drive now. But I was just, I felt like I was just working too much. Maybe not even a year. I just was working like six days a week and going to school. So I bought my first TV tube TV uh, with money that I had made from Western Sizzling. And I had, you know, mostly older women. I had a, there was four sisters that worked there. I think it was four sisters. It could have been three. And then this lady might not have been a sister. And that may be it. But either way, I think it was four and she was one of the sisters. The other three really liked me pretty well. There was one girl, uh, yeah, the other three liked me pretty well. I worked there two times, so I'm trying not to confuse the things. 
But one time, one of the ladies, she was always frustrated with me. Now, I was 16. I had, uh, I had bleached my hair. The girls were calling me Eminem, and I didn't even know who that was. He had just come out. Slim Shady. I don't even think they were calling me Eminem. I think they were calling me Slim Shady. Um, so anyway, this lady, this one of, one of the ladies did not like me. And she one time grabbed me by the neck like she was fake choking me, right? Like she was just trying to be funny, like I'm frustrated with you. But she put her hands on my neck. And I've always been a guy. I'm not trying to fight. I'm not trying to get confrontational. But I do not like people trying to pin me up in a corner like that and put me in an awkward spot. So I had some drinks in my hand. And she started like fake choking me. And I just poured those drinks on her shirt. And she was so shocked. She couldn't believe I had done that. And I was like, well, don't put your hands on my throat like that, woman. And I wasn't playing. There was another woman. She worked their boat. Some some of the people came and went, you know, like they, they were in and out. And some people were there from the first time I worked there to the second time and, and stayed. And this one lady, uh, her name was Cynthia. And Cynthia would always come in with her own broom and if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know brooms can often be hard to find because they can be raggedy brooms and they get, you know, they just get messed up over time. If the kitchen gets a hold to a broom, it's done because suddenly it's it's got all this oil in it now. And the um so Cynthia would bring her own broom. And Cynthia was like kind of the tattletale lady, like she was like moving up and <laughs> she had the best section. But she would always rat on you in a weird way. She would rat on you in what also seemed like veiled in a compliment. Like she would be like, oh, Dusty's really good, but I had to help him out last night. He got a little overwhelmed. Like she'd come help you and you'd be like, thanks, Cynthia. And then she'd go tell the boss that she had to help you. And it's like, lady, you didn't have to help me. I appreciate it, but you didn't have to. Don't be ratting on me. And... So, and then there was, a, there was a, a girl that worked there named Blake at the time. And Blake was pretty hot. She was my age. She was the only girl that was my age. And, but, but me and Blake did not get along. I don't know what it was. Maybe there was some sexual tension that we didn't realize. She had a boyfriend, but we would fight a lot, me and Blake. And then one time her boyfriend was like standing. At the end of the night, we were cleaning up. And he, he was like standing out the back window, like staring at me. I was like, oh, geez, dude. And so that night we had to empty ketchups. You know, we would combine ketchups and I would always get some empty bottles. So I decided I was going to take some of the empties with me in case I needed to hit him with it in the parking lot because he was a pretty buff dude. And I told Blake that I did that later. And she goes, oh, it wouldn't matter. He's crazy. And I was like, okay, wow. And uh, most of the people that work there, they didn't live in Opelika. They lived in Beulah, which is a rougher I had some family that went to Beulah. I had some friends there. That was a rougher, rougher scene in Beulah. But Blake's mom worked there too. And Blake's mom was like my best friend. Like she loved me. And then midway through that, I was driving a Bronco too. And I had ended up gotten a full size Bronco. And I remember this one girl came to work there. I think her name was Whitney. And she was uh, Blake's friend. And she was pretty hot too. 
And I was so young. I didn't know what was going on. All these, I was working with all these loose women and I was a, you know, pretty innocent dude at the time. And, uh, Whitney wanted to go take a ride with me in the Bronco. And the Bronco was so cool. I had no idea what I had on my hands. I let it slip away and I messed up. But she wanted to go take a ride with me in the Bronco. And I was like, all right. And then like I waited for like, I don't know, five minutes. And then I didn't see her. So I just left. And the next day she was like, what happened to you? I was coming to go ride with you. And I was like, oh. And uh, so I really missed an opportunity there. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you ever look back on opportunities like that and you go, you know what, if I'd have played my cards right, I could have really could have really done something there. And then you go, oh, but if I had, it could have been bad news for me. So probably good thing that I didn't. That's, that's one of those scenarios. But um, so that was the first time I worked there. That's, that's pretty much everything. Um, now the second time I worked there was a bit different. The second time I worked there, I was now 18 and I had graduated from high school. I was no longer driving the full-size Bronco. I was driving a 1999 four-door Saturn Pooh Bear edition, incognito, gray bumpers, baby blue, well, not a baby blue, a darker blue with the gray bumpers. Dent-resistant car. You could knee it in the side and it would pop back out. Not a hot car. I had been, I had gotten that car while I was working at Jim Bob's Chicken Fingers, and now I had graduated high school. I was back at Western Sizzlin', and this time most of the crew was gone. The sis- uh, three of the sisters were still there. But most everybody else was gone. Cynthia was still there. All the management was still the same. The kitchen was still the same. There was a big guy in the kitchen named Tyrone. They called him T-Bone, and he had this real deep voice. Like, you could barely understand him because his voice was so deep. But he was great. He was the best. He would hook me up with extra Texas toast that I could eat. I saw one time, I don't mean to tell tales on uh, Western Sizzling, but because I like the place, but I saw Tyrone one time. He had, he had accidentally dumped this whole bucket of chicken over in the back, <laughs> and I walked in, and he's just like raking it back up in the pot. Now, and he looked at me like, don't say nothing, and I didn't. And I used to try to tell jokes about the Western Citizen, but you know, the only time that you could get a break when you worked there really was to go roll silverware. So it wasn't much of a break, but we could go into the back – And we could smoke cigarettes while we rolled silverware. I would say that's how I learned to smoke cigarettes without using my hands. Because I had to roll, because we had to put, you know, knife, fork, spoon on top of silverware, roll it up. And then we had to put it inside these plastic bags. Cafeteria style. So that's what I would do. And I also would have to make the ice cream, which was a big bag of powder that you mix up in a bucket of water and then pour it over in there. I know how it's made, yet anytime there's soft serve ice cream available, I'm there to eat it. I love it. I go back to Western Sizzling every time I'm home. I love the place. I don't know if they've heard these jokes that I said about a uh, the Western Sizzling's like a golden corral without all the class, like a silver corral, but uh, that's just a joke. I love the place. I'd go there over a Golden Corral any day. I probably should put out a joke, a public joke about that. 
I did love a Golden Corral back in the day, but the buffet was a smaller buffet than the Golden Corral and is, you know, mostly all country style and it was located right off the interstate. So you'd get, you know, truckers and businessmen and families and churches and you get everybody coming through there. You had a lot of regular customers and a lot of those regular customers like getting a female server and they did not like it when little Dusty came over. But when I worked there the second time, I had a whole different thing. There was a whole other uh, group of people. Now, one of the sisters that used to work there, well, she still worked there. Now her daughter worked there, and her daughter was about my age and was very attractive. And uh, I always wanted to take her out, but she's the girl that I played. I, I If you've been consistently listening to the podcast, she was the girl that I played the uh, – the. Uh, let me find this song. Because uh, it's it's just too good. It's just too good to know that this is a song that I played. Here it is. Oh, I don't know why it's not. I don't know why it's not directly feeding into the... That doesn't make sense. There it is. There it is. Here comes. So come on, baby. Come on over, let me be the one to hold. All right, you know what I mean. And uh, so that's the song I played for her. Now I joined the army while waiting, while while this time around at Western Sills, and I had become depressed that I was too chicken to ask the girl out. And a guy told me about the army and how cool it was. And I also wanted to get out of my hometown. I like Opelika, but I was ready to get out of there. And this guy told me how cool it was, so I went, joined the army, uh, said a bunch of things to uh, the girl, and said, "Don't be married by the time I'm out of the army." And you know, bunch of just, just weak, weak things that people, that men say, just weak. I had to learn how to be a man, and uh, it took years. And so, I joined the army, and then obviously didn't get in. I got arrested. And never made it in. So I went and found this song on a CD and I took it to the girl <laughs> one day in the bargain lot. And good for her, she didn't bite on it. And uh, so, so then I'm, I, shortly after that, I, I quit Western Sizzling, you know, to join the army and then I got arrested. So I worked at Office Depot and I did that for about a year. And then I moved to Charleston. And when I moved to Charleston, I got a job working at Hyman Seafood. I got a job as a food runner. Now I had not been in Charleston very long. I still didn't have any friends. It was wintertime when I got the job. I didn't I had never lived in a downtown area. I didn't know where to park. It was cold. I parked on once I, my first shift was on a Saturday. I parked on this street. I I walked a long way. I got there way early. I sat on the park bench outside in a weird kind of army jacket and I was a food runner. And my job was to take the food from the window, load it up onto a tray, add the garnishings, add the extras, add the hush puppies, 
carry that tray up two flights of stairs and take it to a table. And that's what I did uh, for about six months before I, maybe nine months before I got to become a server. I took the job to be a server. But I met some really interesting people. I mean, Hyman's had so many people. The guy that hired me was a guy named Dave Davis, and he was into Kung Fu. And him and his cousin, Buddy, uh, are still my friends. I mean, Buddy, I talked to on Facebook a little bit. Dave Davis, I saw in 2015 outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He came to a comedy show at the Hard Rock Casino. Him and his other cousin came, and his other cousin was so drunk, he was basically heckling me. Not heckling, but, you know, trying to help throughout my set. And I had to get them out of there before the headliner came up. But I had a really fun time. I mean, Dave Davis didn't drink when I met him. And then he started drinking. And then we drank together for a while. And then the last time I saw him, I had quit drinking. But I love those guys. So many people. I have so many friends from working that Hyman's job. I mean, I know people all over the country just from the Hyman's job alone. I mean, I, I, you know, I just saw some friends recently in Chattanooga from Hyman's. I mean, I just posted this clip about Hyman's and I got lots of people popping up on my Instagram and, and, and Facebook, uh, for, you know, talking about Hyman's and it's it, it, at one point, I mean, the, the turnover rate was so high at Hyman's because it's a wild restaurant and it's hard to work there. We used to say that uh, former Hyman's employees are the fastest growing population in Charleston, right? Because people were coming to work there and then they would be like, this is too much. But you had everything in there. You had, I mean, the, Hyman's is a TV show waiting to happen. It's the greatest. The restaurant stretches from 213 Meeting Street all the way to 221 Meeting Street. You got a gift shop. They didn't have the gift shop the first time, but you got. You got, what do you got? One, two, three, four, five dining rooms on the top and two dining rooms on the bottom. Well, a dining room and a bar on the bottom. So six dining rooms. So, I mean, the place is massive. You got food runners, bussers, a salad guy, cooks, dishwashers, bussers. You got gift shop employees. I mean, this place is running running wild. And I work there. From two th- from late 2003 up until about 2008. So roughly four years. You could you could make an argument for five, but roughly four years because I quit sometime along 2008. So I got the job in 2003, and I, once I started, sir, I started to make friends slowly, like my friend Kevin Kemp, called him Sleepy. He was my friend because he was also a food runner, and we would go drink. But Kevin was already friends with servers and stuff. I, I I didn't make friends that easy at the time. I didn't know what to do. So I didn't really start making friends till I became a server. And so, and and then once I did that, I started drinking all the time. I was just drinking all the time with people. I mean, it was my shifts back in the day were, I think it was, uh, Monday, now maybe, I don't know, it changed, but I, I think it was, uh, as a food runner, it was Friday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. That was my shifts because I had another job at Office Depot for a while. So I was working seven days a week. And then I started, I quit that job and I started working, pestic- doing pesticides. So I would do selling pesticides for uh, 2004, 5, 6, 7, 
uh, all during the summer. I would just do it in the summer, and then when the summer was over, I would uh, just wait tables. But I would do the job simultaneously, and I had three shifts a week. And on Friday morning, I would work from 10 to 4, and then we would get off and go to happy hour. Every day we would go. Uh, it used to be we would go to the Noisy Oyster, which was on the corner of uh, Market and East Bay. And that place that had open windows, you know, open air kind of restaurant. And the happy hour, I think it was like 10 wings for, I don't know, it was such a good deal. Like you get so many wings for like two bucks and they had uh, shrimp cocktail and they had oysters and they had margaritas and we would just go there and get wasted. I mean, and I lived at the Sergeant Jasper in the beginning of this, but uh, the majority of the time I was living out on Folly Beach. So I'd get drunk and I'd get in my car and I'd drive that car across the James Island connector down Folly Road all the way down to Folly Beach and it was amazing. It was one of my most fun times. You'd be driving down and the sun's going down and you're just seeing the, uh, and I'm just a little drunk and I got uh, driving along those marsh roads where there's no trees really and no houses, just straight up swamp-like land with saw, saw blade grass coming out and you're just like smoking a cigarette or dipping and just really taking it in and just feeling it. And so, I mean, that's what we did. And I, I ended up doing that for a long time. I made tons of friends. I mean, I still talk to so many people. I lost friends. I made friends. I mean, we were just drinking, drinking, drinking. It was after work. We would go to Big John's or T-Bones. I mean, I got, we had a guy named Mike, Mike Gardner. He kicked me. He used to work at Hyman's. He was a manager and he used to give me such a hard time. He was always giving me a hard time. So he quit Hyman's and went to work at T-Bones. And I went to T-Bones one night, and I was really laying into him. I was giving him some shit, you know. And he banned me from T-Bones. I was not allowed to go back to T-Bones until he quit working there. Now, me and Mike are friends now, so it's fine. But, I mean, I I dated a girl that worked at Hyman's for a while. I mean, we had a tumultuous relationship. My best friend worked at Hyman's. Her best friend worked at Hyman's. The two of them would hook up. I mean, we, I mean, it was just a wild time. I mean, it was just parties and, and, and we would, you know, drink. We would go to T-Bones after. T-Bones brewed their own beer and it would, we would get off at 1230 and it, we would have an hour to try to see how much beer we could drink before we would get in our cars and drive home. I mean, one time, I told this story last night on the storytelling thing I'm doing. One time, I left T-Bones, and I was pretty drunk, and we were all just going to walk to our cars and go home, but this girl was walking by right about that time, and I just started talking to her and uh, you know, asked, could I walk with her? And she was like, sure. And so I, I walked with her. We talked, and I had to pee, and I'm in my khaki pants, and I had to, I had to pee. And we're walking, talking. I mean, it's going really well. I'm enjoying talking to her, and I'm thinking – this night is building up to me going home with her, her going home with me, or at the very least, planting some seeds for that kind of activity later down the road. But right when we get to her car, uh, her car was, I get the specifics because I have friends from Charleston that will listen. But we got to that parking lot that used to be behind the kick and chicken downtown that is now like some kind of uh, something for the college. They completely took that parking lot away, but we got back there and that's where she was parked. And I think we were just going to cruise on home with her. Uh, and I was like, let me go. I was like, I have to pee really bad. Let me go pee. So I got, 
uh, over, you know, I, I finally, I finally got to a hidden spot and I, and I was started to leak a little bit as I got to that spot. I could feel a couple of drops coming out and I was like, Oh no, this is not good. And then I, and then I got my pants open and I peed and I was like top 10 best pee. I mean, it was, it was great. It was in there. It was a really good one. And I was like, all right. And I zipped up my pants and looked down and the whole right leg of mine was like soaked. And then the left leg was soaked a little bit. I was like, oh no. I was like, this is not going to work. So I thought, all right, we try to salvage this thing and make this for another time. So I snuck around her car, walked up to her window. I said, you know what? I can't, I can't go home with you tonight, but can I get your number? I'll call you later. She gave me her number, but it never worked out. And then my friend called me, Mike, and he had a, there was a guy we used to work, a manager we used to work with named Larry. I'm pretty sure his name was Larry. And he wanted to go to the strip club, the Southern Bell. And I didn't have any clothes because my uh, pants were soaked. So I told Mike, I said, yeah, come pick me up, man. I have peed my pants. And so they showed up. He had a pair of khaki shorts in his trunk. And so he gave me those, and we went to the strip club. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing out here? But, I mean, it was such a great time. And in 2008, I went full-time with the Spectracide job. So I was now full-time employee. And I, and I did uh, Hyman's one night a week for about a year after I started with Spectracide. So it may have been 2009 when I quit. Um. I did because I did Hyman's for about a, about a year, one night a week, Saturday night, uh, with my friend Cole. Cole, we worked down Hyman's. That was the dining room. We worked down Hyman's, me and Cole, every Saturday night, and it was great. It was really great money, so it was hard to give that up. And then I started getting more into comedy, and I had a, 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 a improv team from Atlanta come to Charleston, and they wanted me to open for them. And I couldn't get off work. And I said, well, I never want this to happen again. So I'm going to go ahead and quit this job. So I quit. And then I start working Spectracide. I start doing more and more comedy. Comedy starts heating up, this and this and this. And then around 2012, well, in 2012, I quit drinking. And within two weeks of quitting drinking, I figure out what I'm going to do. And I need to quit to, to in order to quit uh, working at Spectracide, and I had to sell my car. Now, I lived downtown, and Hyman's was downtown, so I went and talked to Hyman's and said, could I get my job back if I wanted? And they said, yeah. So I quit. My last day at Spectracide was on a Friday. My f- first day back at Hyman's was that Monday. I just took two days off, and then I went right back to work. And then I was walking to work every day. Now, this Hyman's experience, I was completely sober, and I was a much better person, and I felt better. And uh, my uh, experience there was much different. But Hyman's, and, and then I'm just going to talk about Hyman's a little bit. I mean, this place is three stories, okay? The, the, you walk in on the first floor, obviously, but it, 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 the back of Hyman's, all the back doors will go out into a parking garage. So you can drive up the parking garage and come in like the second floor if that door's open and they'll let you in and, and, you know, but you have most of the dining rooms are on the second floor. On the first floor is the kitchen uh, and one dining room and the bar. So if you're working in there and you're working on the second floor, all of your food is coming from the first floor. Now we have food runners, but they're not always competent. 
Um, it's hard to find good food earners because it's low pay. Everybody wants to be a server. And, you know, and then all your drinks come from downstairs at the bar. So oftentimes we would go downstairs, we would grab the wine for another server. You know, I'm like, oh, I got one beer. Oh, here's some other drinks that some of my fellow servers need. I take it up to them. One time a lady at a table, I don't know what she ordered. All I know is I go down and I see my friend, I believe it was Leah, uh, had a white Zen. Now, if you're not familiar with wine, a white Zen is about the only wine that I'm aware of that's referred to by its color. Like you have red wines and white wines, but you don't say I'll have a white Chardonnay. You don't say I'll have a white Pinot Grigio. Those are white wines. You don't say I'll have a red Merlot or a red Pinot Noir. Those are red wines, right? But a white Zen is the only wine that I know of that's referred to by its color, and it's also a little pink. So I understand how this could be confusing. But I grabbed the white Zen, and I took it up, and I dropped it off at the table. It wasn't my table, but the lady stopped me, and she goes, excuse me, sir. She goes, uh, I ordered the white Zen, <laughs> and I was like, okay, let me go get your server. And Because I was like, I'm not, I can't deal with that. I don't know what to tell people in that situation. But Hyman's would just, uh, you know, it would just flood with people. I mean, people would come there, there would be a line out the door. When it was in busy season, Hyman's was nonstop. You were go, go, go. Sometimes we'd work 12, 13-hour days. We'd do those double shifts, and it would just go, go, go. The amount of money I made there, I thought was crazy. I thought that I made unbelievable amounts of money. And one day I was talking to this girl that worked there with me. Very attractive. One of the most attractive girls that that I ever saw work there. And she asked me, uh, we were talking about the amount of money we made or something. And I was like, one night I made this amount of money. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, I made way more than that. And I mean, that is the difference. I mean, when people talk about the gender wage gap. They are definitely not talking about what happens waiting tables. I mean, women make so much more money than men waiting tables. I mean, because you know, men, they'd be trying to throw money at women to impress them. And, and these, and, um, and maybe they were better servers. I don't know. I doubt it, though. I was a very good server. But you could add gratuity to a table of six or more. And I had this table one time come in, and there was three ladies. And they racked up a bill on me. And at the end, they gave me like, you know, two or three bucks. Their bill was like a hundred bucks and it left me like two or three dollars. I mean, they should have at least left me 20. If it's a hundred bucks, you should leave me 20. Because also this is how a tip out works. You have to give 1% of your overall sales to the food runner, to the busser, to the bartender. And then there was $1 to the salad guy. So for this table, their bill was 100 bucks. That meant their bill alone, I had to give $1 to the salad guy, $1 to the busser, $1 to the food runner, $1 to the bartender. So that's $4. They left me $3. I lost a dollar waiting on them. So the next time they came in, they had two other ladies with them and a baby. Now, a baby is really questionable when it comes to six people. Is that six people? Is it not? But when you know you're not going to get tipped, that baby is six people. (laughs) And I added gratuity, and those ladies were not happy. 
They were like, what's this? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Parties of six or more automatically adds the gratuity. And they didn't have the money. One lady had to go to the bank and get the money. And I don't feel bad because that meant if you didn't have the money, that meant you definitely were not going to tip me. And I and I'm not doing charity in here. I'm here to make money. You're here to give me money for good service. And I give good service. And Hyman's also used to have greeters that would go around it, have older people that were friends of the family, and they would go around and greet tables. Also, the owners would go around and greet tables. People loved it. I mean, it was a personal touch. Eli would go around. He would make jokes. He had, he had some classic jokes for tables. He would go up to tables with a lot of kids, and he would go, if there's anything I can do for you, we're here to help, anything but a babysitter. Ah, and they would laugh, and they would love it, and then he would give out free appetizers. He was always throwing out free appetizers. They had, we had these things that we called, I forget what they were called now, but it doesn't matter. There was, we, would take a, we would take grits, and we would put them in a pan, and we would stick them in a fridge overnight in the freezer. And the next day, we would cut them into squares and drop them into the deep fryer, and we would fry these grits. And then we put that in a little bowl, cover it with, um, we would either put, you could do anything. You could do shrimp, scallops, salmon, or crab cakes. Salmon, salmon and crab cakes was the best. And then they would take that, they would put that right on top, and then they would cover it with an Alfredo sauce and then a little touch of Cajun seasoning. And wow, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he would give those out, and we had, we had uh, fried green tomatoes. Sometimes he would do uh, a plate of grits with some fried green tomatoes on top and then the Alfredo sauce. I mean, it's unhealthy, but man, it's good. And then they had people all over the city handing out free crab dip coupons. So people would get these free crab dip coupons, and all they had to do is come into the restaurant, order a meal, get a free crab dip. Now, the crab dip would be small, but also delicious. But it was enough to get people in the door. Eli is a marketing genius. And so then people that hand out these crab dip coupons, they get points. And those points they can use as dollars to redeem and get food at Hyman's. So they're handing out things to get people to come in. And then when those people bring in those cards, those things get entered into a, a, a database that gives points to the people that sent them. So it's just like, it's, it's marketing 101. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't even know if one, what 101 means, but I'm saying it's like teaching a course on marketing. And it's so great. I mean, because people are piling in there all the time. Now, people will say locals love to hate on it and go, well, they're just tourists. And it is mainly tourists. But they love it. I mean, the majority of people that come in there love that. And I love it. I mean, I mean, I took um, Hannah there uh, not too long ago. And Eli hooked us up, man. Eli loves hooking people up. And then on top of that, they have, since it's a Jewish-owned restaurant, they also have kosher meals. So sometimes you would get like the, you know, the, the, the hardcore Jewish people that wanted kosher meals. And those were microwavable meals, and then they would have to have their own silverware. And I was just learning so many things, things I had never knew about, never heard about. And uh, Hyman's is just this whole experience uh, and and it's just, 
it's just wild. I mean, it's just wild to think about. I mean, Hyman's was built in such a way. This was the one of the greatest things. I only had three shifts a week ever, but ever, if I ever needed money, I would just put on my uniform. I would go down to Hyman's about the time for the for the huddle meeting to begin, and I would go. Does anybody want to go home? And almost always, somebody was like, "I'll go home." And it was amazing. You could just make money like that anytime, and you didn't have to lock yourself into so many shifts. And I, I, I had some of the best. Best friends working there. I mean, some of the just, uh, I mean, and I still have a lot of them. I, I still see them. And, you know, I, I, I did some of my first comedy while working at Hyman's. I, I did the Hyman's Christmas party that I've already talked about. But that locked me in there. We used to go to Big John's, and, and Big John's is gone now. But we used to put all our name tags up on the up on the wall and do karaoke, and it's just a, you know, it's a time period that, you know, I was talking with my friend Betsy Harper. She did my storytelling show last night, which if you don't know, if you listen to the podcast but don't know, every night on Instagram now, I'm doing a live storytelling show. So it'll be an hour long every night, and uh, do check that out because it has been really fun. And Betsy uh, lives in Charleston, and we were texting a little bit after um, she did the storytelling show, and it's just like, talking about the time period uh, of us doing improv in Charleston. Now, I would have been doing improv with Betsy, and uh, you know our main hang would have been in between the time that I quit Hyman's and the time that I work there again. Now, I did improv for two years after I quit drinking, and that, that time period still fit in there, but that main time period of me drinking and doing improv and stand-up that would have been the time that I wasn't working at Hyman's. And I, I just, I have all these comment cards from that time that I just go back and look at and read the comments that people left. And it's always fun just to remember those things. And um, I don't know if this had any point, but I'm just reminiscing on things and I'm just enjoying doing the podcast in this kind of way. And... And I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this song because uh, I'm just trying to think of a song. But at the present moment, I can't think. There was a girl that came to work at Hyman's named Molly at one point, and everybody, every dude that worked there was obsessed with Molly. And I remember this song coming on, and she liked this. So this song came on at Hyman's, and she liked it. And then that made me like this song for years. I don't really listen to it at all anymore, but for years that made me like this song. I'm going to end the podcast with this song. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're having a good time. Nope, not that one. Not that, not that version. Sorry. Not that version. There it is. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Neat the cover of October skies 
Yeah, all the leaves on the trees are falling to the sound of the breezes that blow. Yeah, I'm trying to please to the calling of your heartstrings that play soft and low. Yet all the night's magic seem to whisper and hush. Yet all the soft moonlight seems to shine in your blush. Can I just have one more moon dance with you, my love? 